And in the words, how many of you know Ricky? Ricky, wave at me back there. Ricky has a mom that prays for him. And she made a statement, and he said it to us today in Sunday school class, and I just want to repeat it, that God will throw little pebbles at us and before he ever throws big rocks at us to try to get our attention. And so I don't know if God today is throwing little pebbles at us or if they're a little bit bigger rocks, but um, he is calling for intimacy with his people, okay? He is calling for uh, a new standard, a new level, and I, I hope that you're hearing that. I want to assure you, if you're new to this service, um, I don't genuinely, gen, generally tell people what I'm preaching on. There are some churches that the worship team will try to fit the songs together with the sermon and the message. And there are times that I've done that in the past where I'll ask the worship leader to put a song in. And I find that when I do that, when I kind of meddle in that, it actually doesn't end up fitting for some reason. And so I've just kind of taken a back seat to that and said, you guys pick the songs, uh, but they couldn't have picked a better set today to go with what I believe God wants us to hear. And those of you that shared words this morning, uh, that's going to line up exactly with what God wants to say to us today. And so thank you for your obedience in that. I uh, didn't have private conversations with any of them either. And so just so you're uh, aware of that, but we're going to dismiss our kids. We'll send them to their classes. And I forgot a cup of water, so I'll just use my bottle. Anyone be offended if I drink from a bottle? Good. <laughs> As opposed to a cup. We are in a series that we've been calling Golden Nuggets. Uh, golden Nuggets from the Epistles. Looking at the certain passages of Scripture from the books of Romans all the way through Revelation. Those are the Epistles. Epistles is just a, a fancy word for letter. That's all it is. These are letters to churches. They were written by the apostles to the early church, but they're applicable to our lives just as much today as it was to that church back then. And so uh, we have talked about several of them, and today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. So if you have your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to go all the way into chapter 7 and look at verse 1. And uh, we've talked about the God of all hope and that God can do some amazing things in our lives, and I hope we haven't forgotten that. We have talked about uh, running to win. We have talked about passionate faith. We've talked about sowing and reaping. And the whole point of this series was, I mean, these are passages of Scripture that are just powerful truths, and they, they carry a lot of weight. They carry a lot of passion. Not that there's any part of Scripture that's not God-breathed and not useful and not powerful. It's all powerful. But these are just some verses that are just like, wow, they resonate. And this is one today that has, has been one of my favorites. And uh, if you're taking notes and you want to write down a title, uh, I've called it Set Apart, Set Apart. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14, reading from the New Living Translation, it says this, do not team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. That's a scripture that we have heard so many times, it really does nothing to us. But let me just remind you today that we are temples of the living God. The God, the creator of the universe, not the third part of the Trinity who's a little bit lower than him, but the God, creator of the universe, lives inside of everyone who puts faith in Jesus Christ. We are his temple. Hallelujah to me. We are the temple of the living God. As God said, okay, here it is. As God has said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. I will be your father. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. 
Now, the reason we go into chapter 7 is because we're the ones that added verses and chapters to make the Bible a little bit more easy to handle. When Paul was writing, he didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2, or verses. He wrote a letter to them. And translators do their best to try to decide where there should be a good break. I think they were wrong here. Because verse 1 of chapter 7 goes a whole lot better with chapter 6 than it does with the rest of what's coming in chapter 7. And so Paul makes this bold statement, this nugget, because we have these promises. What promises? These promises that God lives inside of us. We're his temple. He's promised it clear back in the Old Testament. He's going to live in us. He's going to walk among us. He's going to be our God and we're going to be his people. We're going to be his sons and daughters. He's going to be a father to us. Can I tell you something? There's not a person in this room that deserves any of that. We don't deserve to be his sons and daughters. We've rebelled against him since the foundation of the earth. We've wanted to do things our way. All we have ever done to him is spit in his face and reject him. And yet while we were doing that, he demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to buy us back, to tear the curtain in the temple in two. The veil is torn so you and I could have access to the very presence of God. Not so that you can get to heaven. You have been, we have dumbed down the message of the gospel to the point that it's just to get to heaven. It's just eternal life. We look at eternal life and think that that means heaven. No, that means the spirit of the living God is going to live in you and make you a completely different person right now. That's his goal for you. That's his desire for you. Those are the promises. And because of these awesome promises, I don't know about you, but the idea that the God who created the world will live inside of me is kind of exciting. I mean, that's more exciting than the NFL. That's more exciting than the first college football playoff that ever happened. That's more exciting than being runner-up in a state championship in cross country. The fact that there's a God that lives inside of us has got to be exciting to us. And if your level of excitement is, whoo, then so be it. But at least we, let's be excited about this fact that God lives in us. And as a result of it, let's separate ourselves from anything that contaminates body and spirit. And let's pursue holiness without which no one sees the Lord. This has been his plan all along. All the way back in Leviticus chapter 26. I will live among you. I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you can walk with your heads held high. That's what God spoke to the Israelites in the desert. I brought you out of Egypt. I want a people that I can live in the midst of. I want a people that's going to be so different from everyone else around them. I want my presence to be in the middle of you guys. That's what he said to them. And here's the thing. The Israelites never got it. They never were the people of God. They never separated themselves. They completely tried to yoke themselves in relationships and with, in culture with other people and other cultures, but they never separated themselves to God. They never put their complete trust in him and let him be their God. I mean, they had a king every once in a while that would lead them to do it, but ultimately throughout their history, they continued to reject him. So he sent them into captivity. Little pebble, little pebble. I'm going to use that thing like crazy today. Tell your mom, thank you. He threw little pebbles at them, little pebbles at them. They didn't get it. They killed all the little pebbles. They killed all the prophets. They killed all the fam. They just never listened. And so he threw the big rock of Babylon on them, of Assyria on them, and he sent them into captivity. But even then, look what he says in Ezekiel chapter 37. I will make my home among them. I will be my, their God. They will be my people. And when the temple is among them forever, the nations will know that I am the Lord who makes them holy. That's a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37. And Ezekiel actually prophesies that no longer is it going to just be the temple of the Lord, but he's going to put a new heart in us. He's going to write his laws upon our hearts. There's not going to be a written law anymore. It's going to be the power of his spirit living inside of us. He prophesies that while they're in captivity. That's about us. That's about us who have been brought into the kingdom, the nation of Israel now. Not because of what we deserved or did right, but because of a God who loves us. 
And he brought us into this kingdom. All the way back in the book of Genesis, it's been about fellowship. It's been about intimacy. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, in the garden of Eden. He communicated with them. He gave them dominion over the earth and said, rule over it. Be, be the Lord of the creation that I have made. That's been his plan from the get-go. But because of Adam's rejection of God, because Adam said, no, I'll do it my way. No, because I don't, I don't like your laws, because your laws are going to separate me from Eve who ate the fruit. She was deceived. And so I look at the fruit, and I see that it's good, and I'm taking it. How's that working out for you? Because of that choice, death and destruction, everything that we see today all traces back to Adam doing it his way. And before we point the finger at Adam, that's what you and I do just about every day of our lives before Christ. Hopefully we don't do that anymore after him. We do it our way. And our way never works. We need to do it his way. So God chose to deal with the sin problem. Now, we started in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't have a feeling I'm going to sit a lot. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6 But we're going to go back into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because God dealt with the sin problem. He says this, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe Christ died for all, we also believe we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. No longer my way. Instead, they live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Meaning when he was on earth in a physical body, we looked at him in a physical body. But now we know he chose that. That he was the son of God and that body could not fully contain him. This means... That anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. All, all who come to Christ are new people. Not modified versions of old people. New people. New dreams. New desires. New wishes. New plans. New lifestyle. New attitudes. It's now all about him. He's brought us back to himself. We live for him. The old life is gone and all of it is a gift. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. This is what we talked about last week. God wants us to tell others about this. This is the task he set before us. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Meaning, while we were his enemies, God designed this plan of the cross. He was no longer counting our sins against us. He knew what he was going to do. Now, we still have to call on the name of Jesus to be saved, but God is no longer counting sins against us. If we reject what his son did, then our sins stay in place. But they're already dealt with, already taken care of. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We have this message of reconciliation. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Chapter 6, verse 1. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. How is that possible? Well, one way is to treat his kindness as just a ticket to heaven. Not realizing that God doesn't want you to fellowship with him in heaven for eternity. He wants you to start fellowshipping him with him now for eternity. He wants to come and live smack dab in the middle of your life. He wants you to be different from the world around you. Different priorities, different way of looking at things, different perspectives. When everyone else at work is crabby, you're not. When everyone else is looking at the problem, you're looking at the solution. He wants us to be dramatically different. Not just we don't smoke and we don't drink and we don't swear and we don't go to dirty movies. It's so much more than that. When people push our buttons, they don't work anymore. 
because we're so strong in him, because we recognize that he takes those things, those trials and tribulations when people mistreat us and when they harm us, and as long as we keep our mouths shut and walk with him through it, he's going to use it to exalt us to a new position. That's the God we serve, and he wants to live and dwell in our lives. He wants to make us sons and daughters. He wants us to be one with him. These are the promises. And because we have these promises, let's cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile body or spirit and work toward complete holiness because we fear God. He says, cleanse ourselves. I'll sit down now. Because that might, that's just weird. How do we cleanse ourselves? I mean, we just read that it's Jesus that cleanses us. But apparently there's a part we have in this. I will not deny that the blood of Jesus Christ alone is what cleanses us before God. There is no work that we can do to make ourselves right with God. The blood of Jesus Christ alone. 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. There is nothing but the blood of Jesus that can cleanse us. Completely and totally cleanse us. It makes us new creations. But our part in this is the removal of anything that contaminates body and spirit. What was it that was keeping the Corinthian church from fully experiencing the promises that Paul had just listed for them? This God that wants to live in you and walk among you, what's going on? They were yoking themselves, if you will, or attaching themselves with unbelievers. Now, we have taken that passage of Scripture and applied it to dating relationships. Do not date an unbeliever. Do not marry an unbeliever, which is true. It's a true application of that passage, but that is not the full application of that passage. When this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 22. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, Moses commands the people, according to the law, do not yoke together an ox and a donkey when you're plowing your field. You may say, well, that's not a big deal, but the ox is a different size than the donkey, okay? It's a different weight. I mean, it's just a, a different way of working. It's got a different gait, a different step, a different pattern, a different way of doing stuff. And so if you put a donkey and an ox together on a yoke, you're not going to accomplish a whole lot. It's going to frustrate you. You're, not, you're actually going to end up harming one of the animals or both of the animals, they were not meant to be yoked together. Why? Because they're two different animals. So Paul says, why do you take the culture of the world? Why do you take the lifestyle of the world? Why do you take the dreams of the world? Why do you take relationships and try to intermingle it? What fellowship is there in that? So coming out and being separate doesn't mean we have nothing to do with them. It doesn't mean we don't talk to unbelievers. We turn away from them. It means we don't love what they love. If we love what they love, we can't be in situations with them where there's temptations going on. Why? Because we love what they love. Do not be yoked together with them. Do not pursue close mutual ties or relationships with them. That's what he told them when they went into the promised land. Don't intermarry. Don't intermingle. Don't worship the way they worship. Don't do what they do. Don't live like they live. Trust me, my ways are better. And we look at the world and we're like, hey, the world's got some good ways, good ideas, good dreams, good plans, good visions. And there's nothing wrong with taking principles as long as they match the scripture. If there's a principle in the world that lines up with scripture, use it in your business, use it in your home. But if it contradicts scripture, throw it out. Even if it looks like the smartest thing you've ever heard. What fellowship do we have with them? So this little compromise that came into their lives, these Corinthians, over and over again, as they kept intermingling and intermingling and intermingling, all of these things, these two lifestyles were in opposition to each other. And it led them to compromise. And so the Apostle Paul reminds them, here's what you get. I mean, don't look at this, as, don't look at this legalistically. What do I have to give up? No, look at what you get. 
You get the God of the universe living inside of you day after day, telling you what you need to hear, when you need to hear it, and giving you more ability than you could ever have from any other source. That's what you get. Why would you not want that? I mean, if you don't want that, don't read verse 1 of chapter 7. Maybe that's why there's a chapter change. I mean, if you're good without those promises in your life, okay, great. Punch your ticket to heaven and sit in the waiting line. But if you know you were created for something more, for the God of the universe to not just live in you, but to make a difference in you, then separate yourselves. Separate yourselves. It's all through the Old Te- New Testament. Since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done with you, for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he finds acceptable. It's truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a what? Modified person, new person, by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. Not just changing what you do. What you do changes when you change the way you think. Because no long, when you change the way you think, you recognize that's trying to take from me. I don't want to live in that kind of lifestyle. I don't want to live in that kind of attitude. I don't want to live in that kind of living because that's taking from me. Because I've changed the way I think. And I see things now from a heavenly perspective. 1 John chapter 2, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. Why? Because they fade away. But everyone, everyone, and everything that does the will of God will live forever. Everyone who does the will of God lives forever. James 4, you adulterers, don't you realize friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? That's a rhetorical question. They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. The same way when you enter into a marriage covenant with your spouse, you're passionate for them and you are expecting them to be exclusive. I don't know if any of you in your vows put in there a contingency plan, you can step out on me once or twice a year. I mean, you don't have to be all in. Just love me for better, maybe not the worse. Just love me in rich, not in poor. I mean, just be faithful to me, forsaking most others. We don't write marriage vows that way. Why are we writing salvation vows that way? There is a spirit that God has placed in us that is passionate for us. So passionate, in fact, that he sent his son to die on a cross to bring us back into right relationship with us, with him. Why do you think he's okay with us just giving a little back? I surrender some. Jesus, I will give you little. I surrender some. That's contradictory. There is a spirit inside of you that is so passionate. You don't want to know why lukewarm Christians are miserable? Because there is a passionate spirit inside of you that wants everything and you're not giving it to him. You're, You're fighting within you. There's a war going on. And until you lay everything down and surrender it, that war is going to continue to go on. And it's as foolish as trying to plow a field with an ox and a donkey. You aren't going to get anywhere. So then he says, work toward holiness. Again, holiness comes as the finished work of Jesus Christ and that alone. But the scripture talks about perfecting, maturing, completing our salvation. The benefit of holiness is communion. It's fellowship with God. It's greater understanding of the kingdom of God. That's the benefit of holiness. What is, what's the point of holiness? To be a good person? No, it's to see him. It's to see him. 
Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. The pure in heart will see God. Holiness is about seeing Him. And so I am removing from my life everything that contaminates body and spirit. And as I do that, I make more room for Him because His nature cannot abide where there is sin. And so as long as I'm comfortable having that sin in my life, as long as I'm comfortable having that bad attitude, as long as I'm comfortable living my way, I don't give room for Him. In fact, His Spirit can't dwell in that. We'll talk about that soon. He, what, he vomits that out. In John chapter 14, Jesus tells us, those who obey His commandments, they are the ones that love Him. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to them. What's He going to do when we obey Him? Reveal Himself to us. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me does not obey me. Do you notice he takes these promises? God's going to come and live with us. He's going to reveal himself to us. He's going to do all these things. And in between each one, he says what? If you obey me, if you obey me, if you obey me, if you obey me. Why? Because God's a control freak? No, because he is way smarter than us. And when he tells us what to do, he knows it's for our good. And when we look at it and think we know a better way, we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. The Father's going to send the Holy Spirit, His representative, to live inside of us, to teach us everything, remind us of everything that He's told us. Philippians 2. Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God out of deep reverence and fear. Why? For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. As you work hard to to show that your salvation is genuine, God is the one giving you the desire to do it, and he's the one giving you the power to do it. So at the end of the day, we still don't get to boast. Because if my works are accomplishing anything, if my salvation is being worked out, the only reason it's being worked out is because he's giving me the desire and he's giving me the power. Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That's what grace teaches us. To say no to ungodliness and passion. To live self-controlled and upright godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope. That's the ticket to heaven. And we're waiting for that, but we're not waiting for that to have intimate fellowship and communion with our Father. That starts today. All right, are you still with me? Okay, good. I want to take a trip for just a few minutes. I want to go back to the book of Exodus because this is, I told you this has been God's plan from the beginning and we're going to look at three passages of scripture that show that this is his plan and it's for our lives and then we're going to make a commitment to him. But in Exodus chapter 19, God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt, which by the way was a foreshadowing for sin. They were in slavery, they were in bondage, just like we were in slavery and bondage to sin. And God redeemed us, he set us free by the blood of the the lamb that was put over the doorpost. I mean, you can't write things better than this. And God designed it before the world even began. And he... He brought us to the mountain the same way that he brought them. He says, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all of the earth belongs to me. And out of that, I want you. That's what he's saying to them. Everything on earth belongs to me. I want you. I want you. There's passion in that. I want you to be my people. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain, called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. 
And they did not. They didn't even make it while Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. And they started to prostitute themselves to other gods. See, we come to church and we hear this message. We hear what God is saying and he's saying, I I want you. I want you to surrender everything. And we hear a message and it's like, yeah, we hear God and we're like, God, we will do everything you said. And we go out there and we don't change anything in our lives. We don't change the entertainment choices. We don't change the priorities of our life. We don't change how we spend our money. We don't change the attitudes that we carry into work. We don't change gossip. We don't change slander. We don't change any of it. But we will do everything you say every Sunday morning. And God is calling for a bride. He's like, I've been throwing pebbles at you for a long time. And you're not listening. So they're getting bigger. And there's a time that is coming on the earth that will be a giant boulder. And even then, the world will reject him. My prayer is that we don't. So verse 9. So the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud in Moses so that the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes. Be sure they're ready on the third day for on the day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. What did they have to do? They had to consecrate themselves. Why? Because God is holy. And can I tell you, God has not changed. He is as holy today as he was back then. And so if they needed to take three days to purify themselves, how many of us think that we can just go and live however we want and we don't have to worry about what we allow into our lifestyles or what we allow into our temple of the Holy Spirit? We can put anything in there. We can put all kinds of junk in there. We can surround ourselves with junk. It doesn't matter because of grace. But grace doesn't change the holiness of God at all. And yet, we want him to come and reveal things to us. Give give us wisdom and understanding. Show me who I'm going to marry. Show me what job I should have. Show me the good things. And we want to treat him like a genie in a bottle. We can just go to and rub every once in a while and poof, there he comes. And we wonder why we don't hear his voice. Why is there no intimate connection with you, Lord? He says, because I've called you to come out. And you don't come. I throw pebbles at your window and you're not opening. Verse 20. When all the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke and the billowing from the mountain. They stood at a distance trembling with fear and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. In other words, Moses, this whole mountain experience is making me a little uncomfortable. I don't want to die. I don't want this to, you know, all I wanted to get out of Egypt and have a good life for my family. I didn't know it was going to be this costly, Moses. You go speak to God. Moses says, don't be afraid. God has come in this way to test you so that you fear him and that will keep you from sinning. If only that would have worked. Because this group of people continued to intermarry, continued to worship other gods, continued to desire the things of Egypt. Take us back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. It was bondage. But they were so blind to the fact that it was bondage, all they could think of was, hey, I had something better back there. In the church, we've been called out. We've been separated from the world, but yet we're still hooked on immorality and we're hooked on on drugs and we're hooked on alcohol and we're hooked on materialism and we're hooked on the things of the world. Take us back to Egypt. God's like, that was slavery. I am calling you to something so much better. And we've believed the lie. In Psalm 103, the scripture says, he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. You want to know the character of God? You got to go where he is. You got to climb out and be uncomfortable. You can't ignore his commands in in your relationships, in your customs, in your dreams, in your pursuits. We have got to separate ourselves unto him. Not separate ourselves from the world, separate ourselves unto him. It's not about what a list of things that I can and I cannot do. It's what do I need to do to get where he is? And if this is in my way, I'll get rid of it because I want him. 
I'm not interested in whether or not I look different or looked or sound. I just want him. And I know that as I pursue him, I'm going to be different. I'm going to look different because he's going to dwell inside of me. The benefit of of drawing near to him will always outweigh the cost of anything we lay down. But at the time, it looks like the we're oh, it looks like we're just amazing people. Oh, look at all I have given up for you, God. Wow, uh, you should be so impressed. Have you seen the cross? I mean, nothing we ever lay down compares to what He's already laid down. And what more? If He did that, Romans says, how much more does He want to do? If that shows his passion for us, why do we hold back? Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is a story about a lover pursuing his bride. This is, if, this is passage of scripture. I slept, this is the bride, but my heart was awake when I heard my lover knocking and calling. I slept, but my heart was awake. I heard him. Open to me my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of night. That's like being in a church service and the Holy Spirit says, surrender everything to me. I love you. I want to give you. I want to do so much in your life. I want to bless you. I want to pour out blessing upon you. And the church says, but I've responded, I have taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? You know how much that's going to cost me, Lord? You have any idea what I have to lay down? How inconvenient that's going to be for me? I have washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? And you know how God responds to that? You know how I'd respond to that? Fine. But you know how God responds to that? Look at the grace of this. My lover tried to unlatch the door. See, in the Middle Eastern day, you could stick, he, she could see his hand come through the opening and he was trying to get to the latch to be able to unlock it. That's the grace of God. We reject him. We're like, dude, we're comfortable. You know, you just don't, don't mingle with my life. I mean, I like my life the way it is. I don't want you to be messing with my checkbook. I don't want you to mess with my, my time schedule. I don't want you to mess with my attitude. I like my bad attitude. I've gotten used to it. So have the people around me. So uh, please, just let me stay in bed. But you know what? He realizes that if we stay in bed, there's a judgment that's coming and we can't be asleep for it. So he does everything within his power to try to open. My lover tried to unlatch the door and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. The call to intimacy, to fellowship, to partnership, to call to be out of complacency is the call that is ringing out to the body of Christ right now in these last days. Get out of bed. Come apart. Come with me. It's not about what you're doing or not doing. It's not about all of your flurry or activity. How many times does God say, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your songs. I don't want your stuff. I want you. I want you. I am so passionate for you. I want you. And I want you to trust me above everything else. I want you to love me above everything else. I want you to lay it all down and believe I have what's best for you. The last one in Revelation chapter 3. The church in Laodicea, Jesus writes these words. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the so be it, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you're lukewarm water, since you're complacent, since you're just enough, since you're the minimum, you're not hot, you're not cold, I am going to spit, literally the word vomit you, out of my mouth. I'm going to hurl you out of my mouth. Why? When we go out to a restaurant or when we eat something at home and we're not sick, we don't have a virus, we don't have a disease, but there's something in that food that does not sit with our system. Our body rejects it. 
It cannot process it. There is something in that food that cannot be processed into the system. It's, it, it's diametrically opposed to our system, and so our body vomits it out. Now, I will lay still for hours at a time before I vomit. I do not like to vomit. It is not a fun experience. And so I could literally lay for hours if it means I do not have to vomit. But sometimes it's so diametrically opposed There is nothing that you can do. And in those moments, I'm just like, Lord, help me. Okay, here's the thing. Lukewarmness, complacency, is so diametrically opposed to the passionate God who held nothing back. And there is only so long that he can stomach that in his system before his system just rejects it and he vomits us out of his mouth. And so in the meantime, he's throwing pebbles. Come out to me, come out to me, come out to me. Separate yourselves unto me. Be as passionate for me as I am to you. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. I mean, God, hey, we, we got good pews here. We got good music here. We got good lights here. We got a good projector here. We got good programs here. We got something for our kids. I like this church. It's comfortable. We got lots of good stuff here. We, God, when we need something, we'll call on you. When we need something, like 9-11, we'll fill our churches with people that want to pray and seek your face. But hey, as long as the job, I mean, the income is pretty good, the kids aren't sick, so God, we really, we don't need you right now, but would you hang out on that shelf? We don't even know our condition, which he describes as miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, here's the thing. You say, well, why would God be so harsh and say he's going to vomit us out of his mouth? And, because here's the thing, church. Our condition is miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And what kind of God would he be to just come and say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then on judgment day, say you were miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and you get nothing. I would rather him come today and make me a whole lot of uncomfortable So that when I stand before him on judgment day, my true condition matches the condition I thought I was too. I don't want to live a life where I think I'm one thing and my true condition is another. I want to be as passionate for him as he has been for me and I know that I'm not even close. Look what he says. I stand at the door and knock. And we use that to talk to the unsaved people. The Lord is knocking at your heart's door. No, this is the church. He is knocking on their heart's door saying, you know what? You think you don't need anything, but I know you do. You think you've got everything you need. You think your lives are in perfect order, but you need me. You need me. And he stands there and he knocks and he knocks. And he says, if you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. See, these are the same promises for us. He wants to live among us. He wants to dwell among us. He wants to be right in the middle of who we are. And he will not settle for complacency. He will not settle for a lukewarm church that is content, you know, punching a time clock on Sunday morning. And that's, you know, that's about all I got to give for you this week, God. He wants us to to be new people, new priorities, new dreams, new visions, new life. It's all about him. I pray that we're not like the people of Israel. They wanted him as much as he made their lives comfortable. But when his, their lives were uncomfortable, they no longer wanted to draw near. I pray that we want to draw near to him. That we're not content to do church without him. To do the Christian life without him. Void of his presence, void of his power, void of everything that is him. Something has got to change. Amen? I need some volunteers. Could I just get... Just pass one of these down each row in these two aisles, and then if you could take those two aisles over there. No, you there. Her there. I don't know if you've heard 
There's more than you need in each row, and that's okay. I just did it to, to help save time. There is a call that I believe is ringing out that God is literally, I hate to beat a dead horse, but he's literally throwing pebbles at the window of his church. He's saying, I want intimacy with you. I want a passionate relationship with you where it's all about me. There are pastors and there are churches all across this city that are now starting to hear that cry. And I love, I love hearing other pastors and other believers and other Christians talk about what God is stirring in their hearts. This card that I put in your hand, in just a moment I want you to look at it, but if you could just stay focused with me for just a moment. In the month of January, there are four pastors currently that are on board for something called a 21 days of consecration or fasting and prayer. Believing that the church, by and large in America, in Huron, uh, has been content to do church without the presence of the Lord. Um, you know, we're seeing good things happen, but we're just not hungry for Him. I mean, we're not, we're not hungry for God to show up on the scene and do something dramatic. I mean, we would like to see that, but not enough to change our lifestyle. We're almost like the, the Song of Solomon passage where we're content to just sit in bed and say, you know, I've already taken off my robe, my feet are washed. God, I'd love for you to show up, but if you don't, I'm okay with that too. And we have created a whole theology around the fact that God no longer moves today and God only does certain things and he is sovereign and so in his will, and I believe God is sovereign, don't get me wrong at all, but I believe that a prayerless church is more to blame than a sovereign God for the state of our country. I believe that we no longer crave him like we crave the things of this world. And so the pastors, there are four of us, the Nazarene Church, the Open Bible Church, James River Church, and, uh, and myself. We have met together for the last few Wednesdays, and we are praying, and uh, we are corporately going to do 21 days of fasting and prayer, and not just fasting and prayer, but times of consecration, where we set everything aside and say, God, it's all about you. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like or what that's going to be, but I want to start promoting it to you now because I want you to begin to pray, and I want you to begin to think about it. What I believe is we need to consecrate ourselves for God to show up. We need to separate ourselves from the stuff that is contaminating us and from, that is just junking up our lives and help, causing us to miss what God is saying. There is a book that's written uh, that we are using as kind of a theme book. It's called Desperate for His Presence. Desperate for His Presence. It's written by Rhonda Huey. Uh, I've had a one conversation with Rhonda Huey, uh, she's just a, a woman that desires the church to be passionately in love with Jesus as he is with them. Uh, and that's what this book is about. And we want to put that in your hands for you to prepare yourself for what God wants to do. And so there's a spot on here for you to mark. If you would like us to order a copy of that book, we can sell it to you for $10. Uh, that's a discounted price. And so if you would like that. But I would like you to take these next few moments, and I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. And they are going to sing. They're going to lead us in some songs. And I realize that it's 12 o'clock and I realize that I pushed the hour. But church, I'm going to tell you something. I, I hear God saying this to us. You know, there are times when, when I sit in the front pew of a church and the worship time goes on and I wonder, God, is this really a word that you wanted me to share with people today? I never for a moment wondered that today. From the outset of this service, the Lord has been throwing rocks at our window. The Lord has been knocking on our hearts and saying, you know what, I want you to be as passionate for me as I've been for you. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there are things that the Lord is doing. I love hearing the things. I've loved this membership class that we've just had and hearing the people around the table, the ways that God is working in their lives and the ways that God is doing things. And so I'm not saying God's not at work at all, but what I'm saying is we've lulled ourselves into a place of complacency where we're, we're content to do this without his full presence. God wants more. He wants to do more, but he needs us to respond to him. 
And he's knocking at the door today saying, I want to respond to you. If you want more information, you want to be on a, a, an email list, you want uh, the updates about this 21 days of fasting, that's on there. If you've got prayer needs or you want something, to sh- you want to share something with me that uh, is maybe a prayer request, uh, I want to encourage you to use the backside of that card. So fill out that card if you would and uh, respond as maybe the Lord is directing you today. And uh, I'm going to pray. And then we're going we're gonna to worship. We're going to open the altars. We're going to give you a chance to fill out those cards. I'm going to ask that you'd return them in this blank basket that's up here before you leave today. And uh, if you want to order the book, we'll get those ordered for you. But I want us to take a few moments and allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to our hearts this morning. And so would you stand with me? As we get ready to close, as we get ready to close the service in prayer, as you come and as you put these in the, the basket, if you want to stay around the altar, you can do that. I will be here. If you want prayer, I would love the opportunity to pray with you. I'm going to invite our, our, our prayer team, our pastoral staff to come back. We would love to pray with you this morning. Maybe you need to just confess complacency. Strip it away. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to come to strip away the complacency of our lives. God, we look at the passionate love you displayed for us at Calvary. And Father, we recognize for far too long, we have tried to offer you minimum in return. We have taken your great kindness, your promises to us, and yet in much of our lives, we've just ignored it. We've continued to live our own way with our own attitudes, with our own thoughts, with our own priorities, with our own choices. But today, God, we recognize there needs to be a change. We recognize that you are calling us to a greater level of intimacy, to a greater level of fellowship, to a greater level of partnership with you. God, we want to be with you. We want to respond to you. Holy Spirit, we don't want this to be a day today where just like the Israelites, we say, we will do everything you've said. God, we need you. We need you to give us the desire. We need you to give us the power to say no to ungodliness. We need you to give us the desire. We need you to give us the power to come out and to be separate, to to throw aside everything that contaminates body, and spirit. We need your power to pursue holiness. God, ultimately, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to understand your ways more fully. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Speak plainly, speak clearly to us today and in these weeks ahead as we just set ourselves apart to pursue you. If faith can move the mountains, let it mountains move. We come with expectation, waiting here for you. from the 